0: Hi welcome back to another episode of Multi-Site Masters, the podcast that explores the art of managing and growing multi-site businesses, especially in the retail and hospitality industries. I'm Lee Sheldon, co-founder of MMU, a training and development consultancy which is dedicated to helping managers to achieve consistent operational excellence, becoming world-class operators as a result. I'll be your host for today's episode, during which we'll be continuing our conversation with Andy Ball. A marketing executive with over 30 years of experience of the marketing discipline. In this second part of the interview, we'll build on the last section in part one where Andy gave us his views on why both mystery customer and customer feedback programs are important to an organization who truly wants to understand what their customers think and feel about their experiences. Today we'll be focusing on the Net Promoter Scoring System and exploring if an NPS system is still adding value to organizations. Specifically, we'll unpick how world-class operators use the insights it gives them to both evaluate their performance, but more importantly to turn these insights into actions that positively impact upon performance. So welcome back to the second part of our interview with Andy Ball, a bit of a marketing guru who specializes in local store marketing and the, very much the topic of today's conversation, Net Promoter Score. Now, for those of you who haven't heard part one, absolutely recommend that you do so, during which we explored a number of issues, in particular, the difference between customer needs and customer wants, The value of defining at each stage in the customer journey what excellence actually should be in terms of what the customer should experience. And the last piece was really to understand what is the difference between customer feedback, customer satisfaction and mystery customer programs. And that really leads us on to the continuation of our discussion today and in particular this concept of net promoter score. So, Andy, welcome back to part two and I wonder if you could maybe start by just giving our users who may not uh, be uh, familiar with the concept of net promoter what net promoter score or NPS actually is
1: Yes, yeah, certainly highly uh, great to be back um, to your point, not net promoter score um, it's a very relatively speaking, old measure by uh, today's standards. Um, It was actually researched by Symmetrics and uh, Fred Reicheld uh, some 20 or so years ago. Um, And it's very, very simple. What it does is it asks the customer to actually answer the following question. Based on your experience today, how likely would you be to recommend this brand or this company to a family member, colleague, or loved one? That's certainly my preferred version of it. Um, It's asked in various other ways, but at its core, it is that simplicity of asking about your experience today, how likely you would be to recommend it to somebody else. And it's actually rated on a scale of zero to 10. It's therefore an 11 point scale. And that rating can be from zero where you would Definitely not recommend it right through to 10 where you absolutely would. But what the score actually does is it um, breaks it down into three groups. Uh, It groups it into promoters, the raving fans of your brand, who would rate it nine out of 10 based on that experience today. People who are merely satisfied. uh, These are called passives. And those would be people giving it a rating of, say, seven or eight. And those who are detractors, who had an experience such that they rated it zero to six. Now, the most important thing about this is that the Net Promoter Score, as the name suggests, takes all those who scored nines and tens and subtracts all those who scored zero to six. It completely ignores everybody who scored seven or eight, hence net promoter score. So it's actually quite drastic. It's pretty brutal. And you can actually end up having a negative score if you have many more detractor scores versus those that rated you nine or ten.
0: Great, thanks, Andy. I would imagine anyone who hadn't heard of Net Promoter or used it in their own organization, they probably experienced it themselves in terms of being asked that question by companies to get a view of the product or service that they've been using. So, as you say, it's been around for a while. I suppose that leads to that challenge is if it's been around for a while, is the fad over? Is it going out of fashion? Does it still have a value? What's your view?
1: Uh, Well, um, like all things in uh, In sort of customer relationship measurement um, or management things are fashionable and uh, is it going out of fashion for some people yes but actually uh, for many others no it isn't and for some it is the lead indicator that they use when uh, talking to customers Um, part of the reason why it's still very much in vogue is that it's just very very simple It's dead easy to measure and it's really easy to understand for customers and uh, for team members for the workforce and what it really does is go to the heart of determining customer advocacy because I mean at the end of the day it is that that uh, sustains brands in the longer term Um, as a KPI it's great at tracking. Uh, brand and business performance in terms of customer advocacy or loyalty over the long term Um, and uh, the really important thing about it is that it's used worldwide it's therefore very benchmarkable uh, for both individual brands but more importantly against categories in which they operate so you can get a real sense of You know, if you're in the coffee bar sector, brand X versus your own brand, how is it doing both locally and internationally? You can determine that by looking at these scores over time and there are published indices. Um, But I think for me, uh, it it really has to be used in a broad context. Um, Focusing on it solely to drive an organization uh, would require quite a lot of digging into the particular score rather than looking at the score simply on its own Um, on its own a net promoter score of 10 means what Uh, well it means you've got actually more promoters than you have detractors but is that good and what is it that was driving it and uh, the, the kind of the simplistic nature of it and the fact that it is really brutal means that it can sometimes fight against other measures That people also look at Uh, to give you an example of this um, when net promoter score is used in the context of a mystery customer uh, report what we see here is somebody undertaking a visit Uh, they then do so incognito they probably have a reason to be there and sign up to giving feedback And what they're asked to do is to buy something and to experience the whole uh, service proposition from that particular brand, that location, and to give a detailed report. And the detailed report can often ask lots of operationally driven questions. Um, And those operationally driven questions usually have um, statements around them or standards which the brand owner is wanting the performance to meet. Uh, The trouble is those are what we believe to be correct and don't necessarily represent the entire view of what makes a great experience to the customer. So it can be that we get a fantastic um, score against one or two specific operational delivery criteria, but we get a bad MPS. And I can remember from my own experience of introducing this uh, particular measure internationally, uh, taking it to certain countries and they're saying, look, I just don't believe this. I've got a lousy MPS, but my other customer satisfaction measures are really, really good. Overall satisfaction, likelihood to return, even measures like customer effort, where we ask how difficult was it to actually do business with us today? And in some cases, these can be higher than the net promoter score. One of the reasons for that is often looking at MPS scores in isolation and not over time. The great thing about the MPS score is it builds a long-term performance track of how you're doing over time. And as such, you need quite a few MPS ratings coming in to build up a picture. Uh, if you look at anything in isolation, it can be quite um, misleading. But on the other hand,
0: how many would you say an organization should have? How many um, scores, reports should an organization be saying? Well, that's a reasonable amount to make it a credible stat for us.
1: Sure. Um, This varies business to business in terms of how many uh, customer visits they're getting. Uh, Now, whether that's mystery customer reports or individual customers coming in, and giving you their feedback voluntarily, which is a slightly different proposition. One is a paid for uh, mystery shop. One is uh, the customer coming in and giving you that feedback. The frequency of responses from customers just coming in and giving their feedback voluntarily is likely to be much greater. And therefore, you would need fewer to actually get um, a decent handle so on the one hand you might say anything from 30 to 60 other businesses look at something much longer and and larger than that but my view is um, you should be looking at something probably somewhere in between the two so anything from 40 plus visits to get a reliable handle on what it is that you're doing Uh, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't look at uh, your individual MPS scores in fact my entire argument is that many businesses don't bother to actually look at those individual MPS results in enough detail. I see, thanks. So if we actually take a a particular example of thinking about what went wrong and what drove a particularly low MPS score, if you get a score between 0 and 6, and therefore you've had a detractor give you that rating, um, it's usually due to a pretty major failing, and it's often operationally driven. Uh, something went really, really wrong, um, either the wrong food was delivered, uh, something really upset the customer, and they found it strong enough to actually give a score of 0 to 6. Now. In that situation, um, if you're looking at it in the context of overall performance over a very long time, this might just be a blip. Uh, But nevertheless, going into the detail of what drove that score is really, really important. So that means if you only ask that question, you're never gonna get under the skin of why it is that you, you got it unless you ask a supplementary question Why did you give that score? Other people, uh, other companies actually look at it in terms of, yes, I want to know why you gave that score. But actually, what would I have had to have done in this business, in that experience, in that time to actually made it a better score? What's the one thing that we could have done that would have made it, say, instead of a six, a seven? And therefore, it's really, really useful to ask both whenever you're asking the net promoter score. And those companies that actually structure a questionnaire in such a way that they're asking more relevant detail questions underneath the net promoter score about the operational delivery or how the customer felt about their experience, that helps particularly operators to get under the skin of why they got that score. And I would argue that by delving into it, what we can do is start to isolate things that were one-offs, things that are starting to persist or are persisting, that we would call big rocks. Um, And both are important, but it's the big rocks that may require more than just a bit of tinkering, but actually could take longer to address, but should be prioritized and just not ignored.
0: So it sounds, Andy, is that, in my experience, I see people often focus on that headline figure of what's my NPS percentage, and actually it's those additional supplementary questions that really give you the data and the insight that you can then do something
1: with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really is about not ignoring anything that the questionnaire result is telling you about or the feedback that you're getting from the customer. Um, It is looking to see what are the likely causes behind it. Um, For example, you know, when we ask about uh, overall satisfaction or the likelihood to return, overall satisfaction, you know, will have a score that, again, needs to be measured over time and can be compared to the net promoter score. How satisfied you are or whether or not you would recommend aren't necessarily the same thing. You can be quite happy if you had pretty low expectations, that those expectations were met, but it still doesn't necessarily mean that you would recommend this place, this experience to somebody else. And similarly, likelihood to return. um, Dare I be controversial, but there are certain low cost airlines that uh, would probably have a very high likelihood to return or to use again because it is, the price that actually is driving people to use it or the fact that for that price, that's the only airline that will get them to the destination that they require. And you can almost look at that as enforced loyalty. And that's actually quite a false read. What it really says is, if somebody could get me to that location, treat me better and give me the same price, wow, I'd switch tomorrow. And even if it was slightly more, to get there uh, to the place that I want to be and perhaps be treated slightly better could actually warrant even a a higher price than the customer would pay using the first airline. So in those situations, looking at things uh, across the piece and really in terms of, I would say, four key blocks, the product, service, emotion and environment of what it is that people have experienced Breaking it down into those boxes is actually really, really helpful in trying to get under the skin of the NPS score. And what it can do is give very, very specific things that operators can then follow to improve their net promoter score.
0: And I think that's key, isn't it? As you said, too many operators just look at the headline number. What can operators actually do if they've got a lot of detractors? What should they be looking out for?
1: I think what we're looking out for there is um, inconsistency in operational delivery. Um, uh, If detractors um, scoring, for example, five or six um, have common themes running uh, sort of through the reasons why they gave that score, then it's clearly a focus. It may be, for example, there just simply aren't enough people on duty manning those tills uh, at peak time. Uh, Perhaps we've got it wrong in terms of how many people we think we need to cover those peak times and if speed of service uh, In a a, say a a commuter or a business context is really really important And we're failing to meet that that could be significant enough to warrant that kind of five or six score uh, a score of detraction Um, but simply not looking for the consistency uh, and continuity of those scores means that we are missing that opportunity if it is more diversely spread it tends to suggest that there's more of a a bigger problem in all honesty if we are seeing lots of different reasons for why those scores are uh, detraction scores um, that really is quite worrying and would suggest that for the manager of managers whether it's the district manager the area manager or the multi-unit manager that would be a real area of focus because the wheels are definitely loose on all parts of that particular car uh, and we need to get in there and try and fix it. But things that are singularly driving a consistent score below where we need it to be um, can often be a big rock, can be identified by the operator and should become the focus of the proactive plan that all operators should be implementing to actually drive their business forward.
0: And should operators really put all of their effort on minimizing customer dissatisfaction? So the zero to six in our NPS category, or should we put as much or more emphasis on nine and tens of promoters?
1: It's a really good, really good question. Um, There's a a very, very sort of uh, vocal school of thought that says actually, Don't forget everything that is zero to six, but what you really wanna be doing is focusing on getting more people uh, to score you nine or 10. So if we take a step back and just sort of unpack that, thinking about how the net promoter score works, what we said at the beginning is detractors are zero to six, promoters nine and 10, and those people who are merely satisfied, seven or eight, um, are the people that get ignored in this score. But actually, from a brand or operational perspective, sevens and eights are pretty important people. For operators, by improving those operational deficiencies and moving uh, fives and six into seven and eight, what we see there is an immediate improvement from an operational perspective in the net promoter score because sevens and eights, the passives, drop out of the net promoter calculation. So from an operator's point of view curing those operational ills are really really important now if a brand or a business is operating consistently well and detraction is actually quite uh, limited and not very often then in that case the question is how do I take people who are really satisfied and turn them into raving fans of my business. And that really is about what you have to do to create the brand love. And in many circumstances, operators will look at the brand as a whole and say, "Ha, huh, that's marketing's challenge. Um, you know, my customers don't feel the brand love. There's not a lot I can do. I will be satisfied with uh, getting lots of sevens and eights and limiting the number of sixes and, uh, f- and fives, etc. But without driving." Um, what actually produces more nines and tens, the operator could be missing a trick. And interestingly enough, things that drive scores of nine and ten are often within our gift to deliver as operators. These tend to be focused around really, really good customer service, um, doing everything with the customer at the center of what it is that uh, we are delivering is is hugely important and as we like to talk about it's about treating every customer as a very individual person not just as a very important person and this really comes back 360 to what we talked about in the first uh, episode and that was about understanding the needs and the wants of your customers. And therefore, having solutions that really address those very individual needs and wants making that effective by grouping people into segments. So, you know, all business people uh, aren't necessarily the same, but they've got a lot more in common than, say, lots of people coming out purely to socialize and treating those groups uh, as different and focusing on their needs helps us deliver that great service that is instrumental in actually bringing about a score of a 9 or a 10.
0: Really, uh, would it be fair to say, going back to the customer needs and wants, that for you to really be a promoter, you have to be having your needs and your wants uh, both being uh, attacked, if you like, being delivered in an exceptional way. It's not just about what you came in for. It's the experience. It's the emotional experience that will make you into a promoter.
1: Absolutely, it it really, really is. Um, let's just go back and say, look, think about a need. When you go to a coffee bar or a coffee shop, your need is to have a great cup of coffee. It might be to have a break uh, to take the weight off your feet or just simply to grab something to eat as well uh, with your coffee. And you take it for granted that that coffee shop that coffee bar will deliver those things that's what they're in business to do so great coffee is a table steak it's it's just what you expect and we should be delivering it so it's when we don't deliver that well that people get really really irritated and that's where you get detractor scores coming in but uh, once you have got those things um, being delivered with operational excellence consistently what really makes the difference, what satisfies the want is that particular brand or location really understanding what it is that the customer is there for in terms of how they want to feel. And actually, how you wanna feel when you buy a cup of coffee is obviously satisfied that it tastes great, that it's delivered to you in a way that absolutely is appropriate for how you wanna consume it, whether that is in-house, in-store, or takeaway. Costa were one of the first brands to very cleverly introduce um, the elliptical saucer that enabled you to put something on it rather than having to carry a separate plate. You know, those are just so simple things, but really, really great and and customer centric in the way that they've been thought through. Taking it to a table that's got power, uh, that actually has got somewhere you can plug in for your laptop or whatever, Um, You know, it has zone seating areas all of those things are really, really important to delivering the want. And once you deliver the want, that's when you're going to get scores of nine and 10. And the thing that really pulls it together is the glue in that uh, particular situation. And that's the people, the staff that are actually serving it, the team members, because if you get fantastic service that is truly focused on the customer, Uh, experience it pulls all those ingredients that are there to make a great experience into one cohesive great emotional experience for the customer and all of this is going on in the background in terms of how it makes you feel you don't go to a coffee bar to feel ecstatic but you do come out thinking yeah actually that was worth going there because and I think what this does Lee is it kind of allows us to just think about um, how we do this and how we kind of deliver it, and a great exemplar of, of all of this is is kind of Daniel Kahneman's peak end theory. Um, this guy, together with colleagues, uh, really did look at uh, the psychology of it all, and what they found was that people tend to remember how they were made to feel in an experience. And how they feel about it doesn't change whether it was a week ago, uh, six months ago or even a year ago. It's about those things that happen to people during their experience and how intense they are or were. And in this context of a coffee bar or or a coffee shop. being made to feel good or that you'd spent your time wisely can be delivered in many many ways but often through great interactions with staff and it is that intensity of feeling plus how you feel at the end goes a long long way to shaping your overall impression about that particular uh, brand or or, or uh, eating or dining experience and it's that that then leads us on to service recovery. Just imagine when anything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. And let's be honest, as operators, it sometimes does. Just a bad day at the office, uh, the steak was delivered cold, it wasn't cooked through properly, blah, 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 blah. How do you recover it? Well actually, it is all then about how as operators we pile in and recognize what's gone wrong being honest and saying back to the customer, you know, we acknowledge this hasn't gone right, trying to put it right in a way that satisfies the customer. And more importantly, if you can do that and exceed their expectations in the way that you put it right, what that gives the customer confidence to do is to come back and risk another go. And the more you get it right and the fewer the times you get it wrong, the less you have to do to put these things right in terms of willingness to revisit and to recommend because it gives that that customer real, real confidence that you are there, you're normally consistent, but actually I would come back to you even though you did get it wrong. And that's hugely important in building both um, a a sense of brand love, yes, these guys take me seriously, they look after me, but also in putting right those operational problems that might have caused them to actually give you a score of zero to six to be a detractor.
0: I have to say, Andy, uh, listening to you there took me back to one of my earliest days when I dropped soup as a waiter down uh, a fortunate, uh, unfortunate, I should say, customer's um, top, and they weren't best pleased. But I think due to, I think, the genuine horror that I had managed to uh, do this to someone, but how we... Fix that for them, and everything we tried to do, from obviously clearing, cleaning them up straight away, replacing their food, you know, not charging them for anything they ate, taking, um, uh, offering to pay for the dry cleaning, uh, various other things that we did. They were back three days later, and I felt, oh my God, that we had turned what could have been you know quite a, a dreadful experience you know people telling lots of other people about the dreadful experience that they had and in that that hadn't happened they'd seen it as a, not a joke but they'd made light of it and they'd come back within three days to have a meal I, I don't think I'd ever been so relieved in my life when they came in uh so I think that that positive experience you said giving people the confidence to come back and have another go uh, I totally related to that as from my own experience
1: yeah yeah absolutely right i think it's um you know it's the tenet of great customer service that uh, even when things go wrong you know we we don't sidestep the issue we try and resolve it there and then and we do it sincerely uh and actually without being defensive about it um you know things do go wrong and sometimes you know things go wrong in in parts of the customer experience that might not be your direct responsibility uh there are for example places that um perhaps have eating establishments where perhaps the toilets aren't actually in their premises but it might be in a shopping mall or in an airport or a railway station where they're adjacent and actually a bad experience uh, it, it, you know in the uh, in the toilet facilities might mean a customer comes in and actually complains to the F&B uh, establishment about it um and rather than you know taking a view that well this is nothing to do with me uh in an airport for example um if you're operating F&B or you're operating a fashion store uh as far as the customer's concerned you'll work for that airport uh, and dealing with that kind of complaint appropriately in the way that you did clearly there with the spilt soup example um is absolutely the right way to you know show that you're on the side of the customer you're there for them and um that builds trust And once that builds trust, that can lead to uh, retrial or trial or or even loyalty, which is fantastic.
0: Okay. And I think that for me, what's really stuck out is the importance as an operator getting my NPS report, getting my data. Don't just stick with what's the percentage. That's just the top line. It's The important thing is the takeaway is to get under the skin, try and understand what customers are telling you by your group, so your detractors, your passives. And your promoters, from the detractors' point of view, you're really trying to eliminate that customer dissatisfaction. Uh, And certainly, in my experience, a lot of that is in your circle of influence. It's not head office stuff. It's not marketing. It's operational brand delivery not being as it should be. So, totally within my purview as an operator to fix. My passives. What are they telling me that might? turn them into brand uh, ambassadors, into that raving fan. I think you used that term earlier. And the nine and tens might be giving me that clue. My promoters now, what could I do more frequently that might turn some of those passives into future uh, brand ambassadors? Would you say that's the, the proactive action plan that I need to have as someone using this data?
1: Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And it's taking time to actually go through The issues um, as you've just described them to really understand what your customer satisfaction measurement tool is telling you Uh, so if you're getting your data from various different sources um, as an operator it's very it's very good time well spent in trying to unpick it and particularly as a multi-unit manager getting your your, uh, your store managers to do exactly the same thing so that when you're meeting, they're able to articulate back to you their understanding of what's driving particular scores uh, and that they understand what Net Promoter is telling them. Because what that enables you to do is not only uh, focus on the things that are going wrong, but more of the things that you can do right. And as such, it can be a fundamental part of your local store marketing, um these scores can tell you an awful lot if you actually dig deeper into them and it and it may be for example that it's something as simple as not having um sufficient choice on the menu to um you know not being uh not doing the right thing seasonally when you have the opportunity to do it which would enable you to actually change the way you do things in your store and try and get more of those 9s and 10s down to downright obvious as you know we have a a consistent big rock here uh that is leading to a a poorer net uh, promoter score right up to actually the thing that really sung for everybody was just remembering to smile and say goodbye to customers and thank them for their custom um i've been in uh restaurants where you know it's been a fine dining experience you end up dropping quite a lot of money on the table And nobody seemed to give a damn when you kind of went, uh, having left a tip and everything. It was just no thank you, no goodbye, no see you next time. And it's coming back to things like Carmen's theory. You know, I I had a pretty good experience, but actually I felt I didn't matter. And simply by correcting those sorts of things, you could have turned me into somebody who was less than totally uh, satisfied with the experience into somebody that would go out there and sing from the rooftops about it.
0: The interesting point for me, Andy, I suppose, here is uh, how many companies, as I say, don't focus on getting under the detail. And I'm sure if you're listening to this and you want some help, feel free to contact Andy. I'm sure he can help. But one of the things that I, I, I sometimes pick up on is people f- saying that – upselling and that suggestive selling that goes on uh, could that actually have a negative impact on me because customers don't like it don't they and customers might be put off by it won't that impact on my nps so there's a resistance because we're being asked to upsell we're being asked to do that that that's actually going to have a negative impact on my nps is there any evidence that that is the case that upselling impacts negatively on nps or does it do the opposite
1: it's a really good question um it can actually be detrimental. Um, and it, it's usually detrimental when things are done in a way that is just not consistent with what the customer wants to get out of the particular experience. Let me give you an example. Um, in a situation where you're on your way to work, you just want to grab a coffee and you are upsold to in an inappropriate way, it really has two major irritants one is you just may want that coffee and your mind is pretty closed to that upsell but what makes that a self-fulfilling prophecy is that the way in which you're offered that upsell is just robotic repetitive and inconsistent with what it is that you might actually have wanted or found out that you needed if that was asked the right way Um, i can give you an example specifically of railway stations Um, interestingly that's a situation where speed of service is king. Uh, but interestingly, uh, looking at a major UK business, the survey results coming through uh, MPS, overall satisfaction, etc., were all pointing to a lack of engagement with the customer. And when the customer was being upsold in an appropriate way, their overall satisfaction was higher than those people who were not upsold to, and it was higher than those people who were upsold to, uh, but who did not accept the, uh, the upsell. So the, the really important thing here is it's not what you do, it's how you do it and making sure that what you do is appropriate in the first place.
0: I thought you were going um, to break mildly. into the Panorama song
1: there. at a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Hugely tempting, hugely tempting. Um, I think, you know, one of the killers in all of this is, you know, when you say to somebody, um, okay, uh, you've ordered uh, a freshly baked baguette and the customer gives, gets the, the freshly baked baguette from the, the, the team member. And then the team member having handed it over says, uh, and anything else? Um, it's, the absolute open door for the customer to say no, because what we're actually saying there is from the customer's point of view, they're hearing we're done, we're finished, you've given me the baguette, anything else? Well, actually, no. Whereas at the time when the baguette is ordered, if there was an intervention from the team member that says, actually, we've got a really, really superb Danish pecan that could go with that, goes a treat and it's not a big portion it's just right complementary to the size of the baguette you're eating worse of that effect you could actually just tip me into trying it or at least considering it and that in itself is often one of the things that actually drives higher overall satisfaction because you've been engaged with appropriately in the first place rather than being ignored and offered something that is just completely irrelevant or kind of you know Undemanding in the sense of anything else mm. naming a specific product and doing it the right way Actually shows that you've thought about the customer. It could be for example on a boiling hot day. You offer them a bottle of water uh, Which you know if they're walking around they might need um, Offering that in an appropriate way with say the food and the drink that they have already ordered could be really really helpful And it's that that actually would help drive satisfaction and ultimately MPS if done correctly
0: Okay, that's fascinating. So, badly done upselling, yeah, it's going to impact on your NPS. But if you can do it in a way that is genuine and makes people feel that you've made a personal effort to, as you said earlier, a very individual person, you've tailored what you're saying to me it can really have the opposite effect and it can drive NPS because people think it's genuine. It's not robotic and it's, I've been engaged with, I've had a better experience. So there really is a positive to upselling well, but doing it in a non robotic, doing it in a personal way.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, clearly. And, and the, the real challenge is making sure that what you say and how you say it is refined to the point where it is appropriate to the speed of service that the customer requires. You know, if you're in a restaurant, um, you don't need to be machine gunned with lots of different options. Um, You don't have to try and upsell everything from starter to dessert all in one go. There's often more opportunities to actually try and present uh, educated uh, suggestions, suggestive selling to the customer than compared to you know, a a very limited sometimes 60 to uh, you know 120 second engagement uh, in a real high speed of service environment like a coffee shop at peak commuter time getting the message right and making it relevant to that customer is absolutely key so the challenge for all businesses operator marketing alike is to make sure that what they're saying and how it's being said is totally tailored to the situation. Cracking that means actually your suggested selling will lead to more uptake and higher average spend.
0: Andy, fantastic. I think there's been some really good tips about how to use MPS more effectively, getting under the skin of it, understanding the value it can have on improving the customer's experience, understanding the value on improving, upselling, and obviously, ultimately, average spend or average ticket at the same time, but doing that in a way that genuinely is engaging for customers. So thank you for your time today. Um, as ever, we'll have your details in the show notes, so if anyone would like to contact you to discuss and explore this topic a little bit more detail to get your, your help and assistance, they can do so. Thank you, Andy. Have a great day.
1: Thank you very much, Lee.
0: So thanks again to Andy Ball for taking the time to feature in this week's episode. Again, for me, the key takeaways really centered on the best practices that Andy discussed In terms of how operators can really adopt the information that they get from the NPS reports and actually make a difference with it. I suppose I'd sum that up by saying number one ensure that the follow-up questions are being asked not just the actual NPS question itself to really get under the skin of why the person has scored it the way that they have. Then to extrapolate the data and the comments based on those three categories of detractors, passives and promoters so that we can understand which each group is trying to tell us. Focus on eliminating in terms of the detractors all of those operational weaknesses that so often drive the score and the comments of those detractors. Pinpoint what are the, the really brand love moments that those promoters really seem to cherish and therefore try to ensure that we are consistently replicating those and hopefully turning some of those passives into future promoters. Finally, it didn't surprise me the fact that Andy referred to how upselling, if poorly done, can negatively impact on NPS. However, it was interesting to hear how that suggestive selling if it's done in a personal way, so not transactional, not just repetitive, the same product over and over, and if it's therefore specific and relevant to what a customer is actually coming in for, it can have such a positive impact on the customer's satisfaction on their overall experience, and obviously, hopefully, improve sales as well. We hope you've enjoyed this foray into Net Promoter Score, and we look forward to sharing more insights in our next episode with the Multi Site Masters.